Hi, this is Lisa Borders. And on this podcast, I'll connect with people from all walks of life, sharing stories of overwhelming adversity, transmuting the shadow, and experiencing moments of illumination. We'll be reflecting on the lessons we're learning all along the way to fulfilling our potential, but also being our most authentic selves. If you feel inspired by what you hear, subscribe wherever you're listening, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the community at lisaborders.us. Thank you for joining me, and this is Enlightened. Welcome, everybody. It is a wonderful day in the community, and I have the privilege of being with my good friend, Sun Yen Shung, and I am so excited to be with her. She is what I call the CEO whisperer. She does all this magical counseling and advising to CEOs and boards and individual people too, but she is super good at helping leaders, captains, and leaders of industry work in their businesses, being better people, understanding what their superpowers are. What is their value? How do they leverage their talents to live their fullest lives and give that value, their gifts to their organizations and to their communities? So it's great to have her here. Yes, we're going to make her explain all of that, all of that right here, right now. Sanyan, it is so great to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Lisa, it's such an honor to be here. You know this because I've told you before. I love you. You are one of my favorite all-time leaders. I look up to you. I admire you. And so anytime I get to spend with the great Lisa Borders, it's a great time and a great day. Oh, you are so kind. Listen, I was trying to remember and you helped me remember the first time we ever met. It was at your invitation when I had just gotten the job at the WNBA to lead the league. You invited me and my chief operating officer to come down and meet with some students. That was so kind of you. What made you do that? Okay. First of all, it wasn't out of kindness. It's because I've heard you speak before. You're a board of trustees member. And so I've seen you on campus giving talks. And what really grabbed me and what I find compelling is leaders today have to be able to tell stories to be able to back up their points. And I've seen you do that. And so I wanted the students to, one, get exposure to you, exemplar of how a good leader um, communicates. And two, I knew at that time in speaking with your COO that the WMBA had some interesting projects. And I thought maybe our students might be able to be involved in some of those interesting projects and be able to contribute in a way to help a great organization. Listen, you are amazing because those kids were terrific. I remember coming down and having a conversation and presenting the W and where we were in our evolution as an organization and the kids wanting to just jump in and help. And we went on to have a terrific project and they had a deliverable and it was incredible. This is what you are doing at the business school all the time. And 
dare I say, you're a double dookie. So we're in the dookie <laughs> family. Everybody, let's be clear. This is a duke thing right now. But you are teaching at the business school and at the engineering school, which is all kinds of incredible. But then you're taking it out of academe and taking it into the real world. You're still ranked like the number one executive coach and mentor like in the world. Dang, how in the world did you do that? Give us a little backstory there. How did that work? Okay, so one of the things I know we share is developing the next generation. Like yes. Whatever good comes our way, uh, whether it's wisdom or that's why I'm so excited you're doing this podcast, Lisa, because, and this is an example of when you get wisdom, you have great wisdom to share, you want to share it out with the world so it can help other people too. And so both of us have this shared passion for developing the next generation. So that's why I am at Duke. I've been there for many years. I won't say how long, because I'll give you get a bit away. On, <laughs> it's like vintage wine, Sanya. That's what it is. And so with our students, it's very easy for others looking in to think that we are teaching them, that we are mentoring them. But the reality is I learned so much from them because from their vantage point, they get access to information. They have a point of view that I need it here and others at our levels, our generation need it to understand and to hear because they have a pulse on relevance. And then in terms of the integration with the, what we could say, the external world outside of academia, that's just good business practice. So with the Coach K Leadership and Ethics Center, it was really important to us at the leadership level of the center to be able to say, we are developing leaders for society. Business 101 is we got to go talk to our customers. We're in the people and knowledge development industry. So let's start convening all these different leaders together. And you've been a part of these gatherings to say, where do we need to go? Where do we need to take our leader development? And in the midst of that, through the work with leaders, through building this community, I met Marshall Goldsmith. Now, Marshall Goldsmith has really set a mark in the entire executive coaching field. Executive coaching used to be primarily perceived as for remedial, but now it's every great leader also, just as every great athlete has a great coach, every great leader also has coaches to help them see their blind spots. And Marshall just said, Sinian, why don't you launch a formal practice? You're already doing this launch a formal practice. So I went back and got Coach K and our Dean of the Business School's blessing. They said, this will be great. And so it's a more integration of what's happening externally with also what's happening internally and integrating those different networks together and insights and knowledge. Yeah. Listen, that is so fascinating to me because often we as women have ideas and we have behaviors that are helpful not only to ourselves, but to our communities, our work environment, as well as extending beyond work to our personal environments. And we don't think of them as gifts or as particular skills. We know a lot of people. We have broad networks. You and I have talked about crossing ecosystems before yeah. that we don't just play in one arena. If we can borrow another sports metaphor, we play in multiple arenas. So you are a CEO whisperer, but I have watched you 
work a room and synthesize information and you do it faster and better than anyone I have ever encountered. So let me ask you about listening because you do that so incredibly well. And I was just listening to what you said about students, that we are building the next generation of leaders and that they have a point of view. And oftentimes, particularly in academe, folks are thinking the sage on the stage is the one who has the knowledge. And the kids today, and I mean this respectfully, seem to want the guide on the side versus the sage on the stage. Talk to me a little bit about when you got the insight that the kids needed to be included. In fact, all voices need to be included. What brought you to that place that said, this is the better way to do it, even before you got all the formal stuff put together? Oh, my goodness. Let me reflect on that a little bit. And it connects with what you just said about listening, right? Because when we listen, we are listening for what are either gaps in our knowledge or might my assumption be wrong? So we're listening for what could I be thinking that might actually be not true or no longer hold true. And the third thing I think about when it comes to listening is it's a way for building relationships. So when we're listening, I'm listening also for what's the language they're using. When you think about it, leadership concepts such as trust, believe in people, those could run the risk of becoming cliches. But it's how different people are interpreting and creating the playbook for exercising that creates nuances. And that's where we can learn from. And so listening also for the language and the experiences that they have and to be able to give insight into them as individuals so we can form that relationship. So relationship, knowledge gaps, as well as where can we be wrong? So I think about all that. And I remember I'll share like one of the early mistakes I've made. So we have this amazing MBA student. His superpower, Lisa, is this ability to create these PowerPoint decks, slide decks that will make you cry because he understood that a PowerPoint isn't for relaying information. A PowerPoint with the images is for connection and for driving that emotional resonance. So it's stories in picture form on stage. And I thought, oh, this is great. So let's see, let's shore you up on all the other things that you're not as good at. Instead of doubling down on what he was magically, innately, instinctively amazing at. And I realized how that played out. I had made a mistake. I should have been helping him double down on that. But what he made me realize at that point was, wow, this is a new way of using PowerPoint. This is another tool for conveying language. So constantly, you know, evaluating, seeing mistakes I've made and learning from them. And by the way, mistake is just the biggest failure will be not learning from that mistake, right? (laughs) I should have done that differently. Let's make sure we don't do that the same again. And it becomes now more of asking the students, like even before I publish a piece, I would send it to them. Hey, what do you find compelling? What doesn't grab you? And then just listening. And I usually find There's so many different insights. Oh, I didn't know that. Or, oh, that's another new tool. What's this clubhouse thing? What? (laughs) Or community? I was like, but they will tell you if we just give them the chance and ask the questions and listen. That's a little bit more than what you're giving yourself credit for. There's humility there 
in being willing to listen to someone else, particularly someone who's younger, because traditionally we have always thought you had to be old. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. I mean that in a vintage, experienced, exposed sort of way. And what I'm finding, and it sounds like you found this out too, is that there's value in every voice. If we give that voice an opportunity to be heard, and if we try to unearth their superpower, let's talk about superpowers because you are always sharing with me how you have identified superpowers for different people. You even said to me, I'm going to figure out what your superpower is, right? Talk to me a little bit about why that fascinates you and how you've turned it into a life's passion and you're, cause you're damn good at it. So I think with any, you know, whether it's a book or with even a podcast series, we don't go writing books because we have the answers. We decide to write books because we have questions that we're seeking answers for. And so why superpowers is so important to me and superpower is defined as that inimitable, either instinctive thing that you're good at, or that thing that you're innately good at instinctively, because it may be through habit that it becomes instinct or like you take all of your experiences when it comes to sports. Now, Lisa and the ability to communicate with an audience, that's practice and practice. It's an instinct that something that would take someone like a week, it takes you like a minute to instantly connect and see. So that's how I define superpowers. And I started looking at superpowers and one of my students actually asked this, is like, why is this important to you? And my answer was, I wake up being so excited to talk to everyone else. Like today, I'm like, I get to talk to Lisa Borden. (laughs) I want to wake up today because like we're talking. I don't wake up being excited by me. And then she asked me, do you inspire you? And I said, no, I'm inspired by everyone else but me. But wait, if I have this problem, maybe other people have it too. And so let's go explore this a little bit more. And I know with superpowers, when you're instinctively or innately great at something, chances are you think everyone else has it too. So you discount it. You're exactly right. We all do that. Right. And so we don't see what our superpowers are. That's actually, as a coach, that's one of the biggest blind spots that I see, especially for super high achievers, because we're always looking at what are the deficiencies that we, what are the areas for improvement and we discount our superpowers. And, but we are dependent on other people to help us see that. But as uh, human beings, we don't rush to tell each other what their superpowers are because we think it's so obvious. These <laughs> must know it. So why do I need to spell it out? Oh, But but here's the thing that's not obvious. It's a deficiency. So we'll rush to tell them about the areas for improvement when we also need to rush and tell them, here are the things that makes you different and makes you an amazing contributor. And this is why you should be doubling down on it. You're exactly right. It is also so affirming. I know when you said to me, your ability to connect with an audience Mm -hmm. in two seconds is a superpower. And I said, it is? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I was listening to your intro and I'm thinking, I want to listen to this podcast. Your ability to communicate through stories, even the 
your voice, the intonation, and also your authentic excitement about the thing that you want to share. Oh, that's distinctive. That's unique. That's a superpower. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So affirming. I love the positive affirmation. And what I'm finding, particularly in the context of the pandemic, is that people are feeling negative and they are spewing a lot of negative energy. You and I have talked about this before, that the positive, the kind word, we never know how it's going to affect someone. The negative, we're not sure how it's going to affect somebody, but surely it can't necessarily help. Talk to me a little bit about kind words versus unkind words. I know you have stories of people who have shared kind words that have made a difference in other people's lives. If we're going to pause and ask all the listeners right now, can you think of what story are you holding on to in your life where someone has made you feel less than adequate? I think all of us would have a story and we'll remember it instantly. Can you remember a story when someone's made you feel like you're special? And we all have those stories. And then you think about how those stories play out in how we see ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves. Lisa, I still remember the big part of why I love you is because here you are, board of trustees member at Duke University, this rock star leader who has crushed basically every field that you have entered. And you took the time to engage and speak with me. And I never forgot that. I never forget it. And that now is part of the story that I tell myself. And you think about all the kind words out there. It's part of our narrative, as are all the negative words. Now, if that's true, then can we have the choice to show up? And we can choose to give a kind word, or we can choose to be discouraging. Sometimes we may be unintentionally discouraging, but can we frame things in a more positive way that empowers those around us? Because there's a democratization of power that is happening. Which side are we going to be on? Are we on the side of empowering others as leaders? Are we on the side of let's put someone down, even unintentionally? Yeah, what I'm finding is that your point is spot on, that there are those who are relatively insecure, and many of them have the traditional power, positions, and titles, and they feel very threatened by the democratization of power or the distribution of power. And I think about it as being way more efficient. For example, flat organizations versus hierarchical, like traditional hierarchical or like pyramids, but there's a bottleneck at the top. Whereas if you had a flat organization, think of a wheel is the metaphor I always use. The mission is the hub and each of the people working on it or organizations or departments or functions are the spokes and they are all interdependent. But I know before 2020, when I'd go into any organization, they thought I was nuts talking about a flat organization. But let me ask you to go back into your life. I know you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a professor, you're a leader. Do you remember in your life what helped set some of this mindset that says, 
I should be inclusive. I should listen. I should be more humble. I should take a breath. Where did that come from? Where did you get it? I'm an immigrant. So I came to this country at age seven. Now, here's why I discover is interesting about immigrants or even a first generation anything. You can be a first generation college. You can be first generation anything. Once you leave a community, you're never fully a member of that community again, nor do you always feel like you're fully a member of the new community you're trying to be a part of. I speak English with an accent. I speak Taiwanese and Mandarin with an accent. And so you are in constantly in this no man's land. And as part of this no man's land, psychological survival is being built, building bridges and being able to step into other people's shoes and seeing how they see things. So you're navigating all of that. And I discovered as I get older, that this feeling of outsiderness, everybody associates with it. Even the people who are the CEO in an organization, which is the loneliest job, or someone has been in an organization for 20 some years, our assumption is, oh, that person is so on the inside. But when we open up the conversations and be vulnerable, discover everyone has a little bit of that outsiderness. And the way that we first go about creating a sense of belonging is we have to create a sense of belonging for ourselves and then bring others in to create a place for them. And then we are suddenly creating places for each other and it's togetherness. <laughs> you make it sound so simple, but I know it is so much easier said than done. And you do a marvelous job. I've been in your seminars. I've been in your events where you are inviting people to come into the conversation and share their experience or their exposure or their pain, frankly. And you seem never afraid to do that. Where do you get that strength? Does it come from having experienced the introduction into this country and living it every day? Where do you get that sensitivity and that strength from? I think it's from being curious. I'm just curious. When I interact with someone new, whether they're a new student or even the clerk at the grocery store or the mailman whose name is Stuart, I'm <laughs> ringing the doorbell. And it's discovering the awesomeness in the other person. And everybody has awesomeness. Because everybody has a story and we're in a world where I think with the technology tools at our disposal, we have an opportunity to hear people's voices and hear people's stories. And I go back to superpowers in the idea that when I watch Coach K, he's got all these great players coming in and they're at the top of their worlds. Everyone's competitive, right? Because you don't get to be great without being competitive. Exactly. Got them to connect with each other. And I, you know, and that's when I got an insight of the role of the leader in helping those around them discover their superpowers, because then it takes away the comparison trap. So for me, oh my gosh, here's moment of vulnerability. I compare all the time. I fall into that comparison trap. We all do that. So tell us how to get out of that. So when I started this superpowers exploration, I thought, okay, I need to be the first. How do we discover our superpowers is by talking to others. So then I started asking friends for, can you help me understand what I do that's different? That's good. And again, listen, have no assumptions. 
And once I start hearing things like Sim Sikkin, who's a faculty director for the center, one of my great mentors, he said, you know how to inject emotion into ideas. Oh, okay. I don't quite know what that means. I know it's something. (laughs) That becomes a kind word. I carry that with me. And then next time I go into a meeting with all these PhDs, because I don't have a PhD and, and I'm feeling like, okay, I can't cite research at a finger. And then I hold on to that. I say, but that's okay. That's their superpower. I have this superpower. And you start thinking it's like the Justice League because Superman's not saying, thinking, oh, Aquaman knows how to swim. Gosh, you know, I wish I know how to swim. And Aquaman's like, darn it, I wish I could fly. And then the same thing with organizational development. Like, we, like, no one's telling Superman, yeah, you're great flying, but really, you need to take swimming lessons. <laughs> but yet, in organizations, we do that all the time. We focus on, here's the thing you don't know how to do, and you must do it. Rather than, oh, here's the thing you're amazing at. And when you know that, there's no comparison trap because that's distinctively uniquely yours. I see Coach do that with his players all the time. Wow, such perfect examples. Superman and Aquaman and Coach K. There's three men for you that we really go, wow. Wonder Woman in there. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta throw Wonder Woman in there. So as you were talking about stories and superpowers, I'm thinking about we don't typically understand what our superpowers are. But once somebody tells us, then we're holding on to that and we've got that story. This period that we're going through, the pandemic, and we're not yet post-pandemic. We're almost like at one year of the pandemic, and this is a 100-year event. So this is like four generations, right? It's crazy. No one's seen this since 1918, 1920, right? But many people, unfortunately, have lost their lives, lost their jobs, lost whatever. And I think about the fact that not only do you listen, but you share your insights. You're an author too. You wrote the launch book. And as people start thinking about what do I do next? How do I pick myself up, dust myself off and start running in another direction? You actually wrote this book, I know, because I read it. You sent it to me when I was at the W. That was years ago, but here it is, relevant and resonant today. Can you talk about why you wrote the launch book then and why it's still so perfect in terms of a roadmap, a strategic plan, if you will, a blueprint for those who have lost an old career and want to start a new one or a new business. I think I shared earlier that we write books because we're seeking answers to questions we have. And I'm the world's biggest procrastinator when it comes to launches. Because when you think about it, why don't we ever take the first step? What prevents us is because when an idea or it is still in our heads, it can be a home run. It can be a home run. But the moment we start on it, we can start seeing you, here's all the reasons why it might fail. So let's just hold on to it in that idea stage and not start. And I'm subject to that. So I thought, let's explore this. Let's explore this. And I noticed that there's a lot of books out there that's about how do you create your new resume? How do you network? How do you write a business plan? But we know so much of the battle is psychological. And I wanted to address the mindset. And so what's the mindset for launch? 
And what I discovered was, one, there's always going to be ups and downs. Like when we're pivoting, let's take the idea when we're pivoting to a new career, there's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be an easy road. But what keeps us going has to be a sense of belief. And that belief has to align with something core to who we are. So it has to start with knowing who we are, our values, what we stand for. And then second is we're more resilient. We're more resilient as individuals, but as a team, as a community. So we're going to be in our tribes. Like you're a member of my tribe. We're in our tribes. And those tribe members also include naysayers because we need to understand what might not work so that we can fix it and address it. And so I love hearing that before you do anything, you'll focus group test it. That takes bravery because you're seeking to know the data that can help make it be even better than this idea we originally have. So the book is really a love song to all the people who took the time to share their wisdom with me. And why should I hold on to to that wisdom? That's just share out with the world. Those wisdom have helped me, so I'm going to help others with it. And it's been a guide. I see myself more as a guide, not as that savant on the stage. I'm like, I want to be there with you because, you know what, all these things... (laughs) I'm the first to raise my hand. I'm a mess and I've dealt with these and some of the things that might have that might help because they've helped me. Yeah, but to be able to admit that and then act on it, not only in your book, but you continue with thought leadership. I've seen your articles in the Wall Street Journal or Fortune or Forbes or the New York Times. You have been everywhere. How do you overcome, because you say you're a mess, we (laughs) are not trying to believe that because you are just prolific with the thoughts and the writings and the advice that you're sharing. So you collect it, but then you not only curate, create, but you're curating, right? At the same time, is this something you will continue to do your thought leadership? Cause you've done your book, you're doing superpowers, you're talking to big companies, you're talking to small companies, you're helping everybody. Will you continue with the thought leadership too? Yes, because I believe in it. I believe in it. I see, we talked about platforms before, and what I'm, I'm building is a platform, whether it's LinkedIn, Duke, all of that. Everything that we do is, they're part of our identity, but they are platforms, right? We are who we are, our values, what we believe in, what we find meaningful. But these platforms, I'm the way I see my life's work and mission is, how do I get ideas that can help people out to as many people as possible and if I should be a part of that then that's great but the idea is people need to hear things like your podcast this wonderful podcast there's ideas that people need to hear and that can help them so this is now a platform to be able to share those ideas a book a book is a platform so I think when we think about how can we make a difference in big ways and small ways just even a conversation, if, if say there were zero listeners and it's just us talking here, hey, that's made an impact on me, Lisa, like what you share, the way you connect ideas. I love that thought. I absolutely love that thought because I think when oftentimes we have this idea or some notion in our head of what a platform is and that 
we as individuals don't have it, that you have to be famous or you have to be infamous or one of the two, that you can't just be, right? And use the powers that you have, your point. Everybody's got a superpower. You have to identify it and then you can learn to be even more proficient and lever it. It takes time, but your voice, you have a million people on LinkedIn. And how many years did that take? I think I started four years now. Wow. And and I didn't know anything about social media. And I remember, and there was a, that's another story of how I became a LinkedIn influencer. But I remember when they asked me to be a LinkedIn influencer, I was both elated and terrified because (laughs) my husband, I don't think I was even popular in high school. And I don't want to be seen, like how many followers I have. What if it's just five? Would that be an embarrassment? And Chad, he said, son, okay, if you can help five people think differently and make a difference in their lives, is that success? I thought, yeah. He's like, then don't worry about the numbers. Because so often we think about numbers and scale, but I think we don't know how we touch people and the significance that of the words we say, but if we put the insights and the wisdom and the stories out there. And so he said, think about what you have, the gifts you have, that's different that you can then share that can make a difference. And I thought I happen to be surrounded by wonderful, brilliant leaders who I'm learning from all the time. So instead of having the camera on me, why don't I just turn the camera on them? the questions and they can share and wouldn't it be great to have a diversity of voices talking about these key leadership ideas such as uh, curiosity or the idea of community or building or humility or building community and trust but hear it in their different language because whoever is viewing that's going to broaden the range of it that diversity is going to broaden the range of someone being able to connect with it yeah that's how it got built. So there's no algorithms. People have asked me, when do you post? I'm like, sometimes at 2 a.m. When- <laughs> like when I think of something. <laughs> I think of something. Um, now we've got it a little bit more scheduled, but, but I'm still impulsive when, oh, there's an idea here. Let me just post that. But it's a platform. And I think we're part of a larger mosaic or fabric. And we have a goal to That's what's meaningful, to be able to help others. And in doing so, that helps us. Like when I write um, a piece, it's because there's an idea I want to hold on to that I need it to remind myself of later on. You know what? I'm just about to give Chad some more husband points. If he helped you redefine success as a LinkedIn influencer, we often need that. A partner, someone who can be a good sounding board and help us see more clearly when we are elated, but also terrified, if they could give us a little bit better vision on what's actually happening here. Like we are taking it way too seriously and giving ourselves too much pressure. So as you're releasing the pressure valve for all the people that you coach, who coaches you? I know Chad is right there. He's the love of your life and he helps you all the time. But do you have a kitchen cabinet, if you will, or a cabinet of advisors? Yes. Lisa, don't you're you're in it. (laughs) How many times have I called you up to say, hey, Lisa, 
Let's uh, parse through this. But I'm so glad you bring up that point is because we never succeed alone. We succeed because others have paved the way for us before us. And we succeed because of others around us. Their names may not be on that LinkedIn influencer and that New York Times, but they are part of our success stories. And we like investing in other people's success. Why won't we invite others to invest in our success? That would be selfish to like not invite others to invest in our success. <laughs> uh, so I mentioned Sim Sitkin, who's a faculty director at the center and his superpower is he understands research, but he also has the wealth of experience to be able to put things in context. Greg Jones, you, Lisa Shalit, Francis Hesselbein, gosh, like Nadia West, my students, my kids. Oh my gosh, no one holds you accountable like an eight-year-old. <laughs> Talk about that. How does that work in your house? Oh my goodness. So I really believe for all the parents out there, the parenting is an act of leadership. And what I mean by that is I started looking into this when we were hearing words like women saying opt out, thinking, what does that even mean? Because what I'm seeing, what we're needed today is all the people dynamics, all the ability to navigate that. And if we're intentional about it, parenting can be one of the greatest leader development opportunities there are. So all the people who are opting out and spending more time at home to raise children, they're learning a set of skills that's so needed in society today. And my kids, different leadership lessons that transfer because we're dealing with human dynamics, like accountability. No one holds accountable like a eight-year-old. So walking the talk is so important to what we put in the environment versus what we say. I could tell them to I'm blue in the face, eat healthy. But if I'm like putting potato chips and Girl Scout cookies, because it's Girl Scout cookie time all (laughs) around the house, it's going to be harder for them to eat healthy, right? Because of what they see. Same thing. At the workplace, if we say all the time integrity, we've all seen beautiful mission statements and we're seeing behaviors that don't align with that. Guess what? People are not going to act. It's going to be harder for people to act with integrity. So there's so many lessons from our friend David Robinson. Yeah, because he's got three amazing sons. And I'm like, okay, I'm always asking for parenting tips. By the way, that's coming. David and Valerie raised three amazing sons who are leaders. And so I said, what's your parenting tip? And David said, you can't parent all of them the same. I thought, oh, that's it. We can't lead every individual in our teams the same way either. Because they all have different motivations, different experiences. We have to lead them just as we have to love all of our children the same. We have to lead them equitably. But how we do that, how we lead is going to be different based on that. So what's your parenting tip? I'm trying to think. This is your thing. I think my parenting tip would be to listen to your children. Mm. We typically want to lead our children. We don't often want to listen, if ever, to them. We want to say, do as I say, just go do it, right? Whatever it is. And we don't recognize the value in their voice and in their perspective. So when we were talking about listening earlier, I thought this is something I've learned over time. This is one of my enlightened moments, realizing my son has not just a personality, but a brain and a heart. And he brings all of that 
to bear when we're having a conversation. And as I was listening to you talk about accountability with your eight-year-old, I thought, there's one of Sanyan's moments of enlightenment she realizes, and I don't know what you thought before you had children, I should probably ask you, but clearly you are evolved to another. I mean, when you didn't have kids, did you think they would hold you accountable? No, I think you have this rosy picture of parenting from watching movies, or you you have a certain preconception. But that's what experiential learning is so important, right? This is experiential learning. (laughs) Because I was going to ask you, is that the most enlightened you've become is watching your children grow up and watching them not only push back on you, but contribute to the conversation, not just cause conflict, but actually contribute and make it even more comprehensive and more compelling, whatever you're talking about. So I have a story. I have a story. So Do when- tell. <laughs> When uh, my oldest was six years old. Now, there's nothing like trying to get them out of the door. I don't know what happens in that magical moment, magical, like with a scowl right now. But they can get be all dressed and ready. And then it still takes 45 minutes to get out the door. And we were late for school. And the school is only a block away from where we live. And we were late for school again. I And now as we're rushing out, I lost it. And I yelled and there's no feeling like after you yelled at your kids, then you feel really badly about it. So I dropped them off as the older two of of school, dropped my son off at daycare and I drove right back. And I, you know, knocked on the door of my six year old. She was in first grade at that time. And so she was able to come out. And I said, Sophie, this is not the relationship I want to have with you. You know, like, <laughs> we can't be combative like this. You're only six. We, we've got to at least wait until your teenage years. So we need to get to school on time. What can I do? What can I do to make sure we get to school on time, out the door on time? She said, Mom, you could wake up when the alarm goes off. I just deal. Maybe I was contributing to this issue, like not creating the sense of urgency. And so they're going to dilly and dally. And so it's like, deal. And we were rarely late to school after that. And I just thought, wow, I I am accountable too. You know, and I'm learning so much on leading leadership as a parent. Like being a parent has helped me really become a better leader because of conversations and instances like that. They are little people and they talk back. They're not the piece of literature that you're writing or the book that you're doing or the post that you're doing. It's far more dynamic. So you have to do things in real time. And I just applaud you for driving back, inviting Sophie out and inviting her into the conversation to co-create the solution. Co-create is the word co-create with our people, co-create with my students, co-create with the leaders I work with, my team, co-create. We're all part of the same team, part of the same team. Just amazing. Let me thank you for such an extraordinary conversation. I could sit and talk to you forever, but I am so grateful for all that you have shared, your ability to, or your willingness to be authentic, candid, and transparent. It doesn't get any better than that. Thank you, Lisa. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. 
Love it. All right, everyone. That was this week's episode of Enlightened. I hope you learned something new and feel inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing in life. If you enjoy the energy we're creating here, subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave a five-star review, share it with a friend, and join the Enlightened community for bonus episodes and deeper discussions at lisaborders.us. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week.